good? Orange light is good? You are on. Okay. All right. So uh, if you've been tracking, we are at Luke 6. So you can go ahead and open there. I'm going to read that, and then we're going to um, look at you know, what some, some common themes here. Yep, Luke 5. <laughs> In a, it's good. I'm impressed, though, because, like, for the preacher to not know the chapter he's teaching on, and you guys do, is a little concerning. Um, so, yeah, Luke's chapter 6, and, uh, uh, oh, I, I, I wrote Luke 6, no wonder, that's why I keep on saying this. Luke 5, <laughs> yeah, come to this church, we've got it all together. Um, Luke chapter 5, and... Uh, Specifically, kind of like a, a, a key theme that we're looking at through this chapter is Jesus serving man and God. Jesus serving man and God. Um, but I want to emphasize kind of what I'm sensing. And in prayer, uh, with regards to this whole thing, I'm not really even thinking necessarily about Luke chapter 5. This is I, I just felt in my spirit um, that the Lord wants to... Uh, give us actionable steps that we need, um, and I'm not just talking about we as a collective whole, like we as individuals need uh, actionable steps into the next kind of phase of God's calling over our lives. Actionable steps, things that um, uh, there's something about a definitive move of faith that creates momentum. Not that momentum is the goal, uh, but the kingdom of God is, is moving. The kingdom of God is doing stuff. And so, you know, when the children of Israel came to that threshold of the Jordan River, they had to make an actionable step. They, you know, a lot of us Christians, uh, charismatic Christians or whatever, we can kind of stand at the threshold of that river and we can speak to the river. And we can uh, thank God for his grace upon our lives that that river is smaller than him and we can do all sorts of stuff but none of it does a thing until our feet touch what was the floor of that jordan river and the waters begin to part do you understand and so i really feel in my spirit that the lord wants to give us again actionable steps of movement um, and in the kingdom of god actionable steps movement aren't just things to do it's service and again, Luke chapter 5, Jesus serves God and man. But the scripture says uh, elsewhere, in Matthew in particular, that Jesus saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. That speaks of service, right? But it also speaks of action. We can't have compassion manifest without action. Jesus was moved with compassion because he saw that they were like sheep having no shepherd. And so the Lord wants to, I believe that we have a heart for the lost. What we need now is clarity on steps to take um, Monday to, to, to Sunday. Um, so Jesus serves, and I'm going to name six areas, and then we're going to read the chapter and we'll look at each of these. Jesus serves God and man, uh, one, by coming to our lowest points. That's both encouraging to us as well as inspirational towards what we should do. 
If he comes to our lowest points, then so should we be willing to go to other people's lowest points. Jesus serves by coming to our lowest points. Uh, Jesus serves by leading us to repentance through kindness and friendship. I can, I can see you guys are writing each of these down, and I'll, I'll, take, I'll take time. Uh, there are six of them. I'm just warning you. Jesus serves by coming to our lowest points. Jesus serves by leading us to repentance through kindness and friendship. Thirdly, Jesus serves God and man by receiving the rejected. Um, actually, you know what? I'm just going to kind of run through these, and you, we'll, you'll catch up as I get there. Uh, fourthly, Jesus serves God and man by caring about people instead of accolades. Jesus serves God and man by prioritizing inner connection over outward demands. And you'll understand what I mean by that in, in, in a few minutes. And finally, Jesus serves God and man by moving with God. So if you will, let's look at Luke uh, chapter 5, starting in the first verse. We're going to read it, and then we'll look into each of those quickly. So Luke chapter 5, verse 1 says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put him out a little from the land, and he sat down, and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered him and said, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down my net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Verse 9, for when, oh, excuse me, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for from now on you will catch men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Verse 12, and it happened when, they, when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but, quote, go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Verse 17, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before, them, before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst of, uh, before Jesus. And when, they, when he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. 
And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he arose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Oh, that Detroit would say that. We have seen strange things today. Verse 27, <clears throat> And these things... He went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. This is also Matthew, as we know him elsewhere in the scripture. Uh, and he said to him, follow me. And so he left all, rose up, and followed him. And then Levi gave him a great feast in his house, and there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. And the scribes and their Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And finally, verse 33, Then they said to him, Why do you do the disciples of John fast often to make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And then he spoke to them a parable. No one puts a piece of a new garment on an old one, otherwise the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. So again, let's look through these six points. From Luke chapter 5, starting with this, Jesus serves by meeting us in our lowest points. If you reference back at the beginning of this chapter in verse 5, we've got Peter and his crew. They're out there. They've, they've, if you look at verse 5, he says, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. I don't know about you, but I have been in life moments where I feel as though I have toiled all night and caught nothing. In fact, if I, we all know, and it may, I don't want to be a broken record, but even coming to Detroit, uh, within, within a little bit of time, there was definitely a strong sense of, God, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. And I don't want to repeat endlessly the story, but in 2018, the lowest point of my life, some, somewhere around September 2018, so depressed, I mean, just picking ourselves off the floor on a daily basis, honestly, <laughs> like literally. And, uh, and, and, and just like, Lord, like lowest point I've ever known. I didn't even, like, I've never been clinically depressed, but I was circumstantially depressed. Sorry. And, um, and the Lord met me as I sought him, as you know, reading the Psalms of David. And he spoke to me about buying a house. And uh, you guys know the story that I'm going to buy a house. And then, of course, that was confirmed with, through Chanel Rousseau. Felt the, knowing nothing about what I felt the Lord spoke to my heart, she says I, the same thing. I feel like you're going to buy a house. You're going to move into a house. And when you do, it's going to signify the change of a season. What I'm getting at is the Lord meets us in our lowest points 
but what does he do in our lowest point? If you see verse 4, Jesus comes to us in our lowest points and he says, he doesn't say, oh, you know, let me put my hand around your, oh, you've been, it's been, it's been hard. It's been a hard, baby. I know it's been hard. You know, which is a, a lot of what we do in our human compassion. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but here's what Jesus does. He comes into the scene and says, doesn't even mention the problem that you've been through. He mentions his dramatic and supernatural solution. Launch into the deep for a catch. The last thing you're thinking of doing. We want God to rescue us. But the point is, is that Jesus does meet us in our lowest points, and we're looking through the prism of the circumstances and the feelings that we have in those moments, and Jesus is looking through the prism of his power. Of, uh, he's looking through the prism of with God all things are powerful. He's looking through the prism of his kingdom and what he's going to do. And it's a matter of just hearing. And, and, and thank God, Simon Peter, the response wasn't, Jesus, are you crazy? We've been, I'm not going to do that. And by the way, what did Jesus find them doing when he showed up on the scene? They were already cleaning their nets. That's not an easy task. They were done. And he's saying, go back into the deep and launch those exact freshly cleaned nets back after you've seen nothing but failure. We oftentimes don't want to hear that necessarily when Jesus says that. But let's, let's catch that. Jesus meets us in our lowest points and he tells us something of destiny in the midst of that. It's who he is. And I believe, friends, that 2020 and this kind of COVID period that we are maybe, perhaps, I guess, kind of emerging from, I believe that has brought the church. It's brought the world to its low, lowest point for most in this generation, but it's brought the church to a low point. And Jesus is meeting his church in this place, and he's saying, guys, launch out into the deep for a catch. I believe he's saying that to us today. There's actionable steps to take that seem impossible even if we're weary and tired because God is in it. So let us receive Jesus into our lowest and exchange whatever ashes we may have for his beauty because that's what he's doing. Number two, Jesus serves us or serves, Jesus serves by leading us to repentance by kindness. So if you look back at, at uh, verse 8, it says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, can we just kind of catch some of this here? Peter needed repentance. Peter needed, as all men do, to make a confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what repentance is, by the way. It's not just like navel-gazing and, and verbalizing all of the things that you're doing wrong. It's a transition of kingdoms. It's saying, I turn from my way or the world's way, and I declare you to be my Lord to follow you. And that's what Peter did. He repented in this moment. Peter needed repentance. Did Jesus do anything in this circumstance to point out flaw in Peter's life? Not even a thing. Jesus' modus operandi, and I'm not saying that there's no place to call out sin and things like that, but let's just check Peter's, I mean, excuse me, Jesus' method. He came into uh, Peter's life and he brought blessing to him. So most in the church, 
have an us versus them mentality. Now, we're not conscious of that, but it is an unperceived evil in the church. Us versus them. And we are here to get those bad people to become good people like us. We would never say that, but that is strong. It's in the undercurrent of especially the Western church. Uh, uh, Bob talked about some of that on, on Thursday. Just an undercurrent of judgmentalism, us versus them. But check out Jesus' method, folks. Jesus was me for them. Me for them. Jesus came into Peter's boat in his lowest moment, and he, he brought something of God's kingdom into that situation, God's blessing. You know, speaking of Bob, Bob made a comment about like receiving a, a tattooed person, you know, in church, you know, kind of like being stretched to, to receive somebody with tattoos in the church. Now, I want to say Jesus would not only accept such a person, he would use that person's pul- uh, business as a pulpit. He would partner with the sinner to do kingdom business and then return favor on the sinner, and the end result of that is that the sinner repents through kindness. Are we tracking? Jesus mixing and identifying with sinners and demonstrating the kingdom to them is what led to repentance. He mixed with them and even identified with them. If you don't believe that he identified with them, then let's look at this next sub-point that Jesus served by leading us into repentance through friendship. That's what I mean by identifying, by the way. I don't mean he identified as in became a sinner along with them. I'm talking about being amongst them, with them, in their thing, so that they could ultimately become part of his thing. If you look with me down further in the chapter, Luke, Luke chapter 5, verse 30, remember that guy named Levi, also known as Matthew? He just kind of goes up to the tax booth and says, follow me, and next thing, Matthew's like following him. I love that version, you know, by the way. It's like, that's, that's forward. <laughs> follow me, okay. <laughs> like, total life change. I'm sure that there was much more to the story than, than what we read there, but, my, but what happened was that Levi then throws a party for Jesus and invites all of his tax collector sinning friends to this party. Now check this out, uh, chapter 5, verse 30. And their scribes and their Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well who uh, have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners repentance. Little did the Pharisees and scribes know is that they were a part of that group. (laughs) They just thought that they were righteous, but that's another story. His method of calling to repentance, it was not standing on a soapbox. It was not going downtown to, to, to picket against some evil in our society, which, by the way, I've never known one person ever to repent as a result of that, but I'm not saying it hasn't happened. That wasn't the modus operandi of Jesus. Jesus' modus operandi, sharing a meal with the people that the church wanted to shun. Because they're the them, not the us. Jesus says, no, they are mine. 
In fact, I don't discriminate against them at all from those who deem themselves as advocates and adherents of the Word of God. The Pharisees and the scribes was to share a meal. If I could say it this way, Jesus' method is repent as a result of being my friend, not repent so that you can be my friend. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, Jesus' method wasn't repent. Uh, you know, his method was repent because you are my friend, not repent so that you can be my friend. Friendship came first. He was sharing a meal with them first. How different is that from most modern day what we call evangelism? You're out there, we're over here, we're going to preach at you, tell you what you need to hear that we have and you don't so that you can become one of us. As opposed to let us come into your space, love you, engage you, and like a divine virus, bring what we have into your space and the result is that you repent and become part of what we are. That is being salt. Mm. Very good. So my question for us is, do we pursue the sick or only the righteous? If I could say it this way, if, because we all know that aliens exist, obviously, right? If aliens were watching us, I don't believe that, by the way. Sorry for those of you online who may be listening to this and live in California. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't because we don't see them in the scripture. That's another story. If aliens were watching us, would they say of their objective third-party observation of our individual lives, would they say they pursue the sinner? Or is it that the methods, the rhythms of their life is pursuing other Christians like themselves? So let's ask ourselves that question. Jesus was unequivocally accused of eating and drinking with tax collectors and being friends with sinners. If we are his body, should, we, should not the same be said of us? Can I additionally point out that his way, the context of his connection was dinner? And dinner speaks of a meaningful connection. I think oftentimes our approach to evangelism, there's nothing wrong with it, but oftentimes we're... we're passing through like people that we're never going to meet again. And while that can result in something, God can come into a moment and the, 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 the baseline foundation of our approach should be, how can I get into this person's life and make a meaningful, deep connection with the person? That is the bridge upon which the hefty things of the kingdom can tra travel from me to them. Dinner. <laughs> How can we have dinner with people? That's a great place to start, I think. And uh, as a side note, as I say that, and, and I'm preaching to the choir, you know, when I say this, but let me just say, it, you know, some in, in, in the church can take that to the extreme. Well, you know, we need to be friends with sinners, and so we only have friends with sinners. And, you know, we kind of get fed up with the church and kind of use that as an excuse. And I'm being more like Jesus because I'm out there with the sinners. And so let me make it clear. 
we can't only be friends. We start, right, as we heard last week, we start with local church. My life is in the context of local church. That's where it starts. We are a family. But if we as a family aren't making friends with sinners, sent, engaging them in love and friendship and kindness the way Jesus did, we actually forfeit our mission and become our little holy huddle. And we'll answer one day, what did you do with your life? They needed you. All right, so let's move on. Thirdly, Jesus serves by receiving the rejected. This is, I get excited here because I feel this is one of the reasons that we went into specifically the Gospel of Luke, is because of the emphasis on, on kind of society's outcast and Jesus' relationship with them. If you'll look with me in verse 12, it says, And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then he, Jesus, put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. I know everybody in here is somewhat familiar with the idea of lepers, but let me just remind you, a leprosy is a flesh-eating disease. Did you know that, John? It's a flesh-eating disease. It would start in one place and begin to eat the flesh spreading out from that one place, leaving a stump where once was a hand or a stump where once was a foot or a leg. It was disgusting, it was horrible, and it was highly contagious. And as a result, it was, uh, they were banished from society lest other people get this heinous disease. And the attitude prevalent in the culture of that time was that this was a result of sin. Somewhere there was sin, God put this judgment upon people. How much of the church still has that prevailing attitude? When Katrina came through, the prophets of the day were saying, God is judging those Mardi Gras party people. No, actually, Jesus probably would have been in Mardi Gras making friends with sinners. Not sinning, but making friends with sinners. Despicable. Anyways, he receives the rejected, and, and, and this is a little side note, the idea in that culture was to keep a minimum of, of a six-foot distance from the leper. If the wind was blowing, you needed to keep yourselves the equivalent of 150 feet distance if the wind was blowing from them towards you. Six-foot distance. Now, we kind of identify with that, obviously, as we're all laughing about the COVID thing, but what if the only it was only people with covid that had to keep people had to keep six foot distance can you imagine the isolation that such a person would feel no one ever comes within a six foot radius of me can you imagine life like that so horrible and here's jesus coming into that scene and what did jesus do he put his hand and touched him if we can hear that. He didn't, if I was Jesus, my inclination would be, I love how the Father has made it that I can command things and with a word I speak. And so leprosy in, in my name, go. Jesus put his hand, and you better believe that was speaking a message all by itself. He didn't have to do that, perhaps. He put his hand on him and touched him to say, I accept you right? I accept you. 
And it's a step, perhaps, for many of us just to be in this city, in Detroit. Because in a sense, in the landscape of America, Detroit would be like the leper. Who wants to go to Detroit? You know, and if you live in metro or the suburban Detroit, you're even more thinking that way. I've been shocked living here at how much of a, you know, kind of a no-go zone it, the city is to, to people in the suburbs. And it's a, it's, it's a step of, of an admirable step, a, a, one to be affirmed that you're even in the city of Detroit because that says something of doing what Jesus did. But Detroit isn't just streets and buildings and pavement and parking your car and coming and driving to a church meeting. Detroit is people. And so I want to ask myself and I want to ask, have, ask us to all ask ourselves, who might be lepers to us? Who might be lepers to us? And what does Jesus think about those people as opposed to the way we inherently react? And ask ourselves the question, are we prepared to, quote-unquote, touch them? If I could just kind of summarize that, value and receive anyone and everyone indiscriminately. That's the heart of Jesus. Receives the rejected. Fourthly, is Jesus serves by caring about people instead of accolades. This has seriously challenged me. Same story. If you look at verse 13, it says, Immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one. Now, it's kind of easy to kind of move on that, but as I read through that a couple weeks ago, my, it's like I couldn't keep reading the next verse. My heart kept on saying, wait a minute, what is that? And I kept on having to go back and, and, and wrestle with that. Why did Jesus tell him to tell no one? You know, and there's this uh, servant of the Lord passage. Some of you may know it. I believe it's Isaiah 53. It's, you know, it talks about how his, he's not going to lift up his voice in the streets. And, a, and a, um, uh, you know, he's not going to quench the, the he's not going to, uh, the reed and the. Yeah, so he's going to be gentle, he's going to be soft, but he's not going to lift up his voice in the streets. He's not going to get attention to himself. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, I know that that links with that Old Testament Isaiah prophecy, but even still, like, why did he t actually tell him, like, to not go and tell anybody? And, and this is what just began to penetrate into my heart. I'm just being vulnerable and real with you here, is straight up, like, I realized, and I feel like the Lord was pointing out to me, your, Paul, your, like, view of, like, the miraculous and the stuff, the works of God that you're wanting to see, it's not, it's not my, it's not, not, it's, not, it's, it's apparently inconsistent. Because my desire is let's do miracles so that the city can know, so that the people around us can know irrefutable miracles. And Jesus is almost wanting to keep it hidden. And I, and I, and I asked the Lord, why? Why is that? And, he's, and he says, because my heart is to free people, not for some fame and the, the explosion of, of momentum and activity. And my heart is people. And so, you know, 
I would like to think my, my primary desire has been that Jesus's fame would become known by miracles being done. But if truth be told, I'm sure somewhere in there, there's also a desire that people come, church grows, we become successful, right? And Jesus says, that is not even in my vocabulary. I want to free hurting people from leprosy. I want to free hurting people from any kind of bondage, any result of, of sin. And I don't need man's praise because it's flighty and it's fickle and it means nothing in the end. But people mean something. That is my motivation. And I said, Lord, I want that as my motivation. I want to be sent by your love. I don't want the accolades. I, I want to put accolades where they belong. Bottom shelf, mean nothing. I want to serve people and please you. And so I want to ask us all, let's, let's embrace the Jesus way where that's concerned. Uh, can we seek what God feels about people? Can we, can we, can we feel and allow God to, to make us feel what he feels about their conditions? Can we, and I'm speaking to myself here, can we give up building a ministry and rather build people. Um, maybe you've heard that and that's old news, but if not, just, you know, say law, that one a bit. Give up building a ministry and rather build people. And the last two that we're going to go through, I just want to kind of touch on them quickly. One is... Uh, because everything up to this point has been more about Jesus serving man, but these last two are really more about how Jesus, ways that Jesus served God. And Jesus served God by prioritizing inner connection over outward demands. Excuse me. I believe that this is prophetically relevant to us. And I ask that we would hear this with a ear to process not what is today, but what is to come in our midst. Because I believe God has sent us, and I believe that Jesus dwells inside of us. And Jesus wants to do the same things through us as he did then. And the result is, as it was in the case of Jesus, that multitudes begin to come. Multitudes hear about what's happening, and they begin to come, and that creates demands of ministry. Are you tracking? And in the midst of demands, let us hear the wisdom of Jesus now, before that is a problem, as opposed to when it's already happening. And this is what he did. He prioritized inner connection over outward demands. I can almost prophesy to us that as people come into and start getting saved and they start to come into Border City Church, it will represent demands and the temptation will be to respond to those demands with the best of intentions, wanting to serve people. And God says, you have to keep your priorities straight. Thank you, Peter, for the way in which he opened this morning. It's all about knowing Jesus. And we can easily make the works of Jesus take the place of knowing Jesus. And, and as soon as we begin to go with the demands that are in front of us, we, can, we begin being led by people's need rather than by the Lord. And so look again, uh, verse 15, it says, However, the report went around, you know, when he told the leper not to tell anybody, and <laughs> however, the report went around concerning him all the more. 
and great multitudes came together. You catch that? The result was great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. What is that? That's the demands that result from the growth of the ministry. You following? And, and what, what did he do? So he himself went and served each of them until all had been prayed for. Is that what your Bible says? So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. And if I can remind us of Luke chapter 4, where uh, Jesus, healed, he, he casts out a demon, and then he's healing Peter's mother-in-law, and then word is spreading through Bethsaida, and everybody's coming and bringing their sick that he would heal them. He spent the whole night healing them, and then the next morning, where was Jesus? They couldn't find him. He was in the wilderness praying. And they were seeking him out to find him, and they, and they were imploring him, please stay here with us. You, your ministry is fantastic, and there's so much need in this town. Don't you want to stay? And how many of us in our human compassion would be pulled, and our hearts would be pulled to just stay in Bethsaida? We need to tend to these. And he said, I must go to other cities to preach the kingdom of God. For this reason I have been sent. There was something of getting with the Father that he was able to clarify, not what man needed of him, but what the Father was speaking to him, that he would st stay the course that God had. And I, again, I feel that's a prophetic thing for us. It may not be relevant in this very moment, and I feel it's a warning to us. We need to keep that. Because people's demands, there's going to be need in the city of Detroit. Big time need. Will we depart into the wilderness, whatever that means, and pray? This, guys, is the key to keeping that purity in the ranks of our local church that we've been talking about. You know, Chris sitting in that same chair on Saturday night asked, you know, I just don't want to go back to the, you know, to bondage and to, to whatever. This is the key, is following the Jesus way of withdrawing in the midst of when the need is pounding at your door loudest. That's my cue. Folks, I got to do a rain check. I got to get away to pray. But, what, but you're Jesus, meek and mild. You're the shepherd. Yeah. I'm a child of my father. And I can't have anything for you if I'm not with him. All right? This is not just keeping our prayer meetings, although it is, but it's not just having prayer. It's the heart posture of dependence. And let's go into this final, final point. I guess before we, I say that, I'm just going to say, as we move into a venue, and as people are added, demands will increase. But we must all the more prioritize connection over the ministry demands. God has put us in a place during the COVID season where we have focused almost only on prayer and the Word. And, uh, and He is sending us to reach people. But we can never leave the foundation of prayer and Word or we won't have to give to people what it is that we're called to give them. And lastly, Jesus serves God by moving with God. And I just want to make a kind of comment here. If you look at the very end of the chapter, Luke 5, verse 33... This is where the disciple, the, the Pharisees are questioning. Well, I'll just read it. Verse 33, it says, Then they said to him, Why do the disciples of John, speaking of John the Baptist, fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink? 
By the way, I love Jesus' ministry thing. You know what I'm saying? Eating and drinking. Like, king, kingdom come. Kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. They fast often, and the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. I do have to humble myself and realize that Jesus himself does say that when he's taken away, we will fast in those days. Um, but anyways, if you skip down to verse 37, Jesus says, No one puts new wine into old wineskins, likening this idea of fasting and praying in this kind of like fasted lifestyle to, to uh, or really the eating and drinking, likening that to new wine into old wineskins, uh, practices, the new wine being what the Holy Spirit is pouring out and the wine skins being the, the practice, the structure, the routine that we d- facilitate what we believe God's word to be uh, t- instructing us to do. He says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled and the wineskins will be ruined. Now, and I'll read the last verse here, but new wine must be put into new wineskins and both are preserved. I want to say something important here is wineskins, like I just said, that's the practice, that's the structure, that's the routine, that's the how we do church. You know, right now, like it or not, we have a wineskin as Border City Church. You guys came in here and you kind of knew the routine. You arrived at a certain time, there's coffee available. We kind of chat. Then at around 10, somebody opens and then we're, we, we start with some worship and then we have the, it's a wineskin. And do you know, wineskins are not evil. Like some of us get so super spiritual that we think having a wineskin, like a structure is, is the problem. Jesus is talking about having a wineskin. He's, he's not saying do away with wineskins. You have to have a wineskin. Uh, not having a wineskin is, is basically like a, a river having no banks. Do you know what happens to a river if it doesn't have a bank? It becomes a, it becomes a marsh. Basically good for nothing. And, and, and it becomes... Grotesque. The banks of the river cause the momentum to be channeled into a direction. God has a wineskin for every season and generation of his church. The problem is that we tend to have the wineskin from one era and we make that equivalent with the way of God and are not able to make adjustments when God wants to put the next layer of brick upon that wall requiring a new wineskin. And we become stuck in the rigidity of what we've known God to do in the past. And so Jesus was stuck by none of that. Repenting, fasting, all of that was very appropriate. That was an appropriate wineskin for the season of John the Baptist. It was, John was speaking repentance. And an appropriate way to respond to that was to fast and, and, and pray and repent. <laughs> we got somebody showing up in the driveway over there. Uh, but eating and drinking was appropriate for the Jesus phase. You follow? The structure that contained what God had been doing will not contain what he is doing. What's the lesson there? We need to hold the way we do what we do in service to God very lightly and allow God, allow it, perceive what God is doing now and make the adjustments accordingly to move with God. And to never, as Rodney would also often teach, 
end up making an idol out of what God had done, which ultimately has to be smashed in order to make space for what God is doing. We can never equate what God was doing with God. We don't serve what he was doing, we serve him. So even in this new venue, whenever we, that day comes for us, there will be a new season. It's probably going to look different. And, and some of us may say, well, I, I, I miss when we just did this and this and this. It was such a nice thing. And we've got to keep the, our mind on the big picture. What has God called us to do? Not what do we love and feel affection for and prefer and all those other kind of things. What has God called us to do and adjust to that? Make a suitable wineskin for God to do what he's actually called us to do. We're going to have to adjust. And then when we get used to that, we're going to have to adjust again. Then it's going to be one of you are sent to plant a church. And you're not going to be here anymore. And we're going to miss them. And how are we going to do this? And maybe you're going to take a team with you. And we're going to miss all of them. And this, it's very hard. This is, this is... This is great commission life. Constant adjustments for the sake of the king. And so uh, let's, just, let's just end there. I, I, 